We're gonna jump into week 16, actually, of a series we have been galloping through. I say galloping, we've actually been strolling through for the last several months through the Book of Romans. Before we get to there, I just wanna say welcome back to our Angelina College Roadrunners that are in the house here at the Lufkin location. And welcome back to our Jacks at the Nacogdoches location. Come on, everybody, let's welcome back all of our college students. Glad they're here, glad they're part dipping their toe in the water at Timber Creek today. So glad to have you. Like I said, we're in week 16 of this series in Romans. And over the entire month of September, actually, we've been going through Romans chapter 8. And there's so much power-packed punch inside that one chapter. It's like trying to put a rhino into a shoebox to really kind of get all that's in there. It's, it's amazing. And many scholars have said that Romans 8 is like the greatest chapter in the Bible. And it's the greatest chapter in the Bible. Uh, it's all great. But the reason my scholars say that is because there's so much good news packed in just those 30-some verses. And the other reason why it's so great is because Paul has gone to like the lowest valley in Romans chapter 7, and he's going to take us up the mountain. It's, it's a terrain travel. It's a journey to go up the mountain in Romans 8. But in Romans 7, here's what he says. He says, I don't understand what I do for what I wanted to do, I do not do, and what I hate, I do. And maybe that's you in this room, where you've wanted to do the right thing, but you find yourself falling short. You, you've, you've thought it was gonna be good, it didn't turn out as good as you thought. And even there's some things in your life that you might say, hey, I love Jesus, but I, I got a habit, I got a hang up, I got a hold up. I got stuff that people know about and some stuff that people don't know about, and, and like I, I what I hate, I end up doing. I, I'm like, ugh. I'm so glad that the word of God is written by real people. They're not written by puppets. They're not written by mannequins. They're not written by perfection, uh, people of perfection. Through the Holy Spirit, God uses ordinary, dysfunctional people to share his story because that's who we are, ordinary, good, but dysfunctional people. And what, what he says is, oh, man, what a wretch I am. Who's gonna rescue me from this? Because I've tried to rescue myself and many times in culture, we try to just rescue ourselves with the next step up, the next uh, enjoyment, the next uh, accolade, the next affirmation, the next marriage, the next relationship. Who's gonna help me in all this? And he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. Like it's not about what you could ever do, but Jesus gives you the grace. He meets you where you are, not where you should be. And that Romans 7, it stops, and the very next scripture is Romans 8, and it says, therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, there's no shame. You don't have to wear shame that God already took care of. You don't have to live in that regret. You don't have to live in the past. Some of you are trying to live life looking in the rearview mirror. You ever tried to drive your car looking in the rearview? Good luck. I know some of you trying to drive your car while watching Netflix, but, but, but look in the rear view is even worse. Like, therefore, there's no condemnation. Like, step it, get back past that. God's covered it. You gotta move forward. If you've invited him to wash it away, it's done. Stop wearing what he took on the cross. 
He says, because, and he goes on to say, because like, if God is for you, who can be against you? Uh, he, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And in Romans eight, like he is getting pumped. He is getting excited. And, and, and Paul like starts getting it on, like starting, he gets his preach on. And he is just like going from one line to the next. And he's like, oh, he's, he's wiping his brow and the organ's like, said, oh, I don't think you heard me. There is no condemnation. <laughs> Finally, he gets to the point where he says, because I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor debt, nor anything else in all creation. Like he is so excited. This is his buddy the elf moment. It's like, that's Jesus. I know him. He says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord and that's how the scripture, that's how Romans 8 ends. And you would think because he is on this pinnacle, because he's on the edge of the tip of Mount Everest, you would think that the very next scripture, after this climactic moment, would be the very next scripture. Therefore, because that's how he started the first part of this chapter, therefore, Brothers and sisters, in view of all this mercy and all this goodness and all this grace, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, like that's your true and proper worship. It would make sense if I were writing a message that that's how I would loop it back and put a bow on the present. If I were trying to get you to the mountaintop, this is how we would say, let's all pray, let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads. But that's not what he does. As a matter of fact, he goes a crazy right turn, okay? He goes from Buddy the Elf to Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. There's something about in his holy diatribe, in his holy rant in this moment, his mind is reminded of the reality of so many people that don't have that hope that are still slaves to sin. Sin is my way over God's way in any way. Sin is not the act you commit. Many people think that because that's the way the church has tried to teach it for a long time, but sin is not the act you commit. It wasn't eating of the fruit that was the sin of Adam and Eve. It's not the act I commit, it's the authority I reject. At the end of the day, what sin is, is rejecting the final authority of God in my life. And Adam and Eve, they just wanted to be the final authority been our issue too. So he takes this right-hand turn and he goes into the next chapter. And instead of what we just read was Romans 12, he starts Romans 9 by saying, ugh, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Like you don't even know what I'm, what I'm feeling right now. And he's trying to communicate it as he's pacing, as he's writing this letter to Rome and his, his, uh, uh, his administrator is actually writing this down for him. Oh, I've got such anguish in my heart. Oh, I could wish myself were cursed. What? I mean, I'd take the curse. I would I, I wish myself to be cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. His friends and his own relatives, his associates, his neighbors, his heart is breaking in the middle of this high moment. 
of realizing we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us. He's realizing, ooh, but if I don't know Jesus, if I'm not letting him be the king, they are separated. And it's a real, like, heavy moment for Paul. And he goes on this rabbit chase for three chapters about the nation of Israel, chapter nine, chapter 10, and chapter 11. As you've been joining us, we have been going through Romans and we've broken it down like this, saying that there's an introduction at the front, there's a conclusion at the end, and there are five main pieces of the book. The first part is he's all describing that sin, as I just said, sin my way over God's way in any way. Salvation, that's the good news. A promise of a person who is perfect in your place. Sanctification is just a fancy Christian word for how do you live that out every day? How do you live that out when you've got an old nature that wants to say, do this, and a flesh, and then you also are living by the spirit, and you're not supposed to walk in the flesh, but you're supposed to walk in the spirit, and that can be a crazy dance. That can be a challenge for every one of us, including the one holding the microphone today. None of us have reached perfection, but we can reach out to the one who is perfect. And then it's sovereignty and it's service. And as we take a break starting next week for the At The Movies series, the rest of the year after At The Movies will go into service. What does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus? How does Paul show us to do that? And when we get into Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's gonna be a beautiful step up. And the final sermon, I was actually in Italy this summer, uh, took a, uh, a, uh, our big 20th anniversary cruise, uh, Janet and I, and, uh, for our 23rd wedding anniversary, we took our 20th anniversary cruise because we had had it planned for 2020. Something happened, I can't remember what it was. It was something, something in 2020. I can't, I'll, I'll think of it later, but, but uh, we had that cruise and I actually, I recorded the final sermon of this series in front of the Roman Colosseum and we're gonna finish uh, in front of the Roman Colosseum. That'll come down the road. But today, this chapter 9, 10, and 11, as we push pause, as we put a season finale on this part of the book of Romans, we're gonna unpack this whole idea. And, and why does Paul take this rabbit trail? Why, why does he break it down? In Romans 9, 10, and 11, he's gonna describe three pieces of God. He's gonna talk about Israel's past and God's sovereignty. Sovereignty like he's supreme, you don't have to understand him to be God. He's God whether you understand him or not. He's God whether you could get it or not. If you try to figure it all out, guess what? If you could figure it all out, I want you to know he's not big enough. If you think you figured him all out, you don't understand him enough. If you could truly wrap your brain around the bigness and sovereignty of God, it would like, you'd blow a fuse. He's, he's big and he does what he pleases and he's pleased with what he does and not everything he does makes sense to me as I'm sure it's not made sense to you. His timeline doesn't always make sense to me. His allowance of suffering in my life, his allowance of good things in my life. Some of those things, it just doesn't make sense, but he's sovereign. And Paul's gonna talk about Israel's past and God's sovereignty. He's gonna talk about Israel's present reality and God's faithfulness or fairness in all of that. And then in 11, Israel's future and God's faithfulness. Now, why, why is he really, why is Paul going this direction? Because he wants to unpack the story of the nation. He wants to unpack 
why Israel is where they are. They had rejected Christ Jesus as the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one in Hebrew. Jesus Christ, the word Christ means anointed one, but it's a Greek word. So some people think, oh, I thought it was like Joseph and Mary Christ, like that was their last name. No, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, you're just, you're just simply speaking Greek or you're speaking Hebrew of Jesus the anointed one. And this is the story of Israel rejecting the anointed one as their savior. So let's talk about that story for a minute with the rest of the time we have today. And the truth is, you would agree that everyone loves a good story. Everyone can sleep through a bad story, but a good story, man, it'll get you. I remember the time. How many of you, you love a good story? That's why we go to the movies. It's why we read that book. It's why we hear, you know, and then nobody likes a bad story. Like some of you are still hearing Uncle Frank's colon surgery story at every Thanksgiving and he's wanting to show you the scar. I'm like, I've seen it enough, Uncle Frank. You don't want that story. But everyone loves a good story. And the truth is, story is a universal language. To have hundreds and thousands of languages across the globe, thousands of people groups across the globe, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people groups, that God would give his story as a language. It's amazing how you can go to a third world country, not understand the language, but you can watch someone tell a story and you can kind of get the gist because story is a universal language. And the beautiful thing about the God that you and I should bow a knee to and I wanna make a case for today, is that like God chose to communicate his love for us through a story. He could have just given us a mathematical equation. X plus Y equals. He could have just given us a list, a checklist. Do this checklist and you stay in good grace. As a matter of fact, some people have relegated his story to just a checklist. But instead he chooses from Genesis to Revelation, to thread a story, one story. The Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years in three languages on three different continents. It's, it's written, and it's not just a story like checkers. This is like quadruple-layered chess because it deals with humanity and sexuality and marriage and uh, good and evil and divorce and emotions and grief and loss and love and eternity and, and our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our convictions and our character and our conduct. And, and throughout that entire book, it's one big story of God's love. This is why people have a hard time with the Bible is because they don't see it as one big story. They just kind of go, jump in and they just read one scripture and it's hard if you don't understand that God, the whole story is not about like people trying to get close to God. It's a story about God loving people and wanting to get close to people and giving them the option to get close to him. The whole story, that's what it is. And he chose to show this to us like that. We relate to stories. And there are two stories going on in your life right now, in my life right now. You can write these down. There are two stories going on in my life. The story I tell my wife. No, it's a joke, it's a joke. There are two stories in my life. Write them down. It's the lower story. And that lower story is everything you're experiencing. From as far back as you can remember, the good, the bad, and the ugly, 
learning, learning school, understanding mom and dad, understanding hurt, understanding help, understanding the good, understanding the moments that are wounding. Every right-hand turn that you've made, every detour that you've experienced, that's your lower story. What you've chosen to do, where you've chosen to put your energy, it's all part of your lower story. And this, this granule of sand that is our life in the expanse of eternity is your lower story. And there's two stories going on. There's also the upper story. This is God's perspective on your story. This is how things look from the drone shot view of God, who not only can see where you are and where you've been, but he can see tomorrow and the next day in 2047. He, he can see, he knows your first day, he can know your last day. There, there is this sovereignty of God that he sees, and there's an upper story. The Bible says, Jesus clearly says, when you pray, pray like this, your will be done on earth, the lower story, as it is in heaven, the upper story. God has plans that he knew before you were even knit together in your mom's womb for you. But he doesn't force those plans on you. He invites you into those plans. You, you, you are not just like a robot going into the will of God. You get to choose. But there's an upper story that's playing out that you're invited into. We see this in the book of Job. That's a joke, Job. Some of you are like, oh, what? Job is a guy that has it all. He's on the Forbes Jewish 500 list. He is the man. He started a huge company, uh, and he is just going after it. He's got 10 kids. They're married. He's got businesses all across the region. That's his lower story. Life is good. He's on the front of uh, Entertainment Weekly magazine. And there's an upper story. And the Bible unfolds in the book of Job that the enemy goes to God himself and says, you know the only reason why Job is, is loving you is because you've given him everything. If you were to take all this stuff from him, there's no way he would love you. Duh, of course he's your servant. Because you're like, because he rich. Like take that away and then see. You know what, that's a really great question for all of us. What got you into the Christian thing? Like, like what, what, what keeps you in it? Is it that God is good all the time and that's all you've experienced, but then what can happen is when God doesn't feel good or things don't go good, like where are you, God? How could you do this, God? God turned his back on me and we blame God for this and for that and the other. Like, like even Adam, when he took the fruit and he ate, do you know what he did? He blamed God for it. He said, the woman you put here, she gave me the fruit. I mean, I wouldn't have done it if you wouldn't have given this naked, beautiful woman in front of me. I'm like, I'll just do whatever she says. We blame. Things are good, God is good. Things are bad, where are you, God? And let me tell you, some, some of you that maybe you stepped out of church because bad things happened and this wasn't the deal, or maybe you thought, I'm gonna do my own thing. I get, I, I, I get that. I, I can get it. Because we can tend to do that in relationships, with, with, with friends and family, brothers can walk away from each other. Spouses can walk away from each other. Husbands and wives, um, um, uh, bro, like, like friends can walk away from each other. And even people can walk away from God because of a hurt or a lower story right-hand turn. Job, sure enough, loses everything. 
All of his family dies except his wife, and his wife, like she could have been the one to, to go. Because she's like, curse him and die, Job. Curse God and die. And yet Job won't do it. Because there's an upper story of seeing that God, God is still faithful even when we don't have it, and we can still lean on him even when things feel like they're just crumbling around us. Those are two stories going on in your life. I wonder what you're dealing with right now and you're saying, why God? Why would God even allow this? It could be, what God are you trying to say from your upper story into my lower story today? What are you trying to show me? What am I gonna learn from this? What am I gonna need from you in this? Your ways are higher than my ways. And here's the goal. The goal is to align my story with God's story to align my lower story, all the stuff. Do the stuff, live the life, right? Like you can even pursue an American dream, but if sometimes the American dream gets into the way of the upper story God's dream for your life. You think life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness so it must be that God's plan for my life is just to be happy all the time and sometimes unhappy things are gonna happen. Happy is based on happenings. The joy of the Lord, that's my strength. That's based on assurance of God has got this under control. I gotta trust him and not my own hands. The truth is this Bible is one big story displayed in five different acts. Like a play would have two or three acts, an intermission in the middle. There are five main acts in the story of God. Let me give them to you because I think when you can see them played out like this, you can better understand this big book that can be hard to to jump into. Act one is the story of the garden where God creates the lower story and it's perfect. And he creates two human beings and those human beings are given freedom and everything. One parameter, don't eat the fruit of that tree. 29,530 different species of trees. Don't eat this, don't eat tree like this one. You're so unfair, God. That's the one I wanted. 29,000. 534 others. But they want to take matters into their own hands. They want to be God. That's the deal, the control. They wanted the final say. They wanted control. And you know what they do? They disqualify themselves from the presence of God. So they are exiled from paradise, but instead of exiling them, washing his hands and walking away, God covers them because they deserve to die He kills an animal instead and he covers them with that sacrifice. And he says, okay, we're clean, we're clear. But now you're gonna have to do this to stay clean and stay clear. You're gonna have to go through this process of sacrificing. Otherwise, it's you that is the sacrifice. But here's what's cool. They step out of the garden, but God, since the beginning of time, is hatching a plan to get them back. He has to release them because they were disobedient, but he's got a plan to get them back. We go into act two. As the, as the people grow from Adam and Eve and they, they swell on the earth, it gets to act two, it's the story of Israel, this nation. Israel is the name of a man, AKA Jacob. There are these famous people, Abraham, who had a son named Isaac, and Isaac, who had a few sons, but one of them was Jacob. Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. Jacob has 12 sons. Those become the 12 tribes of Israel that make up the nation of Israel. 
And through this part of the story, God wants to show his presence, his power, his provision, his prominence in their life. But you know what they do? Just like Adam and Eve, they say, we wanna do it our own selves. You wanna be our king, but we got a whole lower story where everybody else has a king, so we want a king too. Now we see that you're wanting to be king in our lives, but everybody else down here, we're not gonna see your upper story. We only wanna see the lower story. We want our own king. And so that's the whole story of the nation of Israel. And even through their disobedience, even through wanting to put matters into their own hands, God is still gonna be faithful and faithful and faithful. They're gonna spend 400 years in slavery, this nation. And yet God is gonna show up and give, give these miraculous signs that are going to exodus them out of the nation of Egypt to start their own nation. And Paul is gonna talk more about that nation and and why it's so important. Act three, though, is where we get from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story of Jesus, where now the way that we are approaching God through the nation of Israel and through these uh, rituals and festivities and festivals and certain things that we do and certain things we don't do, holy days that are now holidays. That's where we even get the word holiday. It's a holy day. We have now, Jesus is the embodiment of all that. Come to Jesus, you are, he's the fulfillment of all these things, like the manna in the desert that was bread for them when they were hungry, Jesus is the bread. The living water, there was bitter water, they couldn't drink of it. It was at this place called Mara. The old vacation Bible school song says, the bitter water was at Mara. the bitter water was no good, but the bitter water was a better water when the bitter water was made better with wood. How much wood could a wood chuck? No, that's not in there. But like what they do is they place an ingredient into the water and it takes the bitterness out. And that's what Jesus does in our life. He, he is the ingredient, it takes the bitterness out. There's, there's death in the pot at a Bible college that Elijah is running because they put a poisonous gourd inside the pot in a famine. The Bible says they put flour into the pot and then they still ate the food. Whoa, that's crazy. And yet the poison was out of it. Jesus is the flour. There's a man walking in a burning furnace with three men who would not bow in front of Nebuchadnezzar and in Babylon. He's the man. Daniel's lion's den, the mouths are shut. Jesus goes into the lion's den for you and he takes the fangs. He takes death for you. All of these stories are showing us Jesus. Jesus shows up and then Jesus dies, resurrects, ascends into heaven, and he births Act 4, the story of the church. And this is what we're living in right now. We're in Act 4. We're in, we're part of Act 4, where God is having his way, being the hands and feet of Jesus on the daily. That's what we're invited to do, the body of Christ in action. And there's coming a day where there's an Act 5 gonna happen, where Jesus will come back and he will reestablish the new garden, a new heavens and new earth. And forever, those that have chosen to live as his, him, him as king in his kingdom will reign with him as sons and daughters, heirs to the throne in a new millennium, in a new heaven and new earth. But this whole story of Israel is a big deal. And this is why Paul says, oh, I've got great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. 
And here he gives some reasons. Like theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and the Messiah. What is he saying here? He's giving us eight different reasons. Have you ever had to say that to your kids? How many times do I gotta tell you to clean the room? Or, hey, go clean your room. Why? Why do I have to clean my room? Because it smells like the Angelina landfill. Do you know the number one thing my, my kids refuse, like they would rather go to prison than go with me to the Angelina landfill because of the smell. The last time they went, we were, went and we were dropping off some stuff. Literally, I looked back and Sage had tucked into her, gla- into her sunglasses a downy sheet, uh, like a dryer sheet. She looked like she was like a character in the streets of Aladdin trying to take away that smell. How many of you have ever had a, a girlfriend of yours, you've, you've gathered a few of your girlfriends and you're sitting there at Starbucks and you're saying, listen, we love you. We don't, you know, we don't wanna hurt you, but this boy that you're liking, like we're just hearing things and the way he treats you. And she's like, you don't know him like I know him. You just don't know him. I mean, you just need to give him a chance. You just don't see what I see. And you're like, we know, we don't. We don't see what you see. How many of that happened six months later? Why didn't I see this coming? We done told you. I don't know why all my characters are, I sound like Medea today, but, but I watched a little bit of it on the airplane last night, coming back from Chicago, maybe that's what it is. But see, Paul shows them eight things. They were chosen out of every other race. God in his sovereignty chose the Jewish people to be adopted into sonship. The divine glory through the acts of of miracles through the desert and through Jericho and through the promised land. The covenants that he made with him, them. The, the, The law that he gave them to live by. The, the temple worship gave all these things, like so many of these things, like how many times do I have to show you who I am and how good I am and how faithful I am and how, how my promises are true? He gives them promises. Over 7,000 promises in the Bible, not one of them has failed. Not all of them have been fulfilled yet, but not one of them has been left behind. And then ultimately, the greatest promise that through the Jewish people, the people that reject Jesus is the Messiah, that the Messiah would come through. Eight different things that Paul's just like, he's wrecked over it. So what's the moral of the story? What's the moral of this rabbit chase of nine, 10, and 11? Basically what Paul's trying to say, and I'm giving, it to, I'm giving you a bunch of theology that could take us weeks to unpack. I'm just trying to place it in bite-sized chunks today. Here's, in essence, what Paul is saying. God chose Israel and he blessed Israel. And God chose you and he blessed you through Jesus. None of you are not chosen. He has a destiny for you that whoever believes in him, whoever, even me, yeah, even you, even me, We don't have to perish, but we can have everlasting life. God chose Israel, God blessed Israel. God chose you, God blessed you. And he didn't do it just you'd keep it to yourself. It was so that we would be a blessing to others. 
He blessed Israel so that they would be a blessing. But here, in a nutshell, is what happens. Instead of Israel saying, God is great, let's go share it. Wow, do you see what he did? He delivered us out. Like, Moses ain't up the mountain 40 days and they're like, this is terrible. What are we gonna do? I don't know. Let's build a golden calf and worship it and have an orgy in the desert. Like, they can't even wait 40 days. Why? Because they're addicted to control. And that's your issue too. Because it's my issue too. You want the last word. And so do I. You want to be in charge. That's why we struggle when we suffer on this side of heaven. We want to, we want to snap the fingers and make it right. And we can't. But instead of Israel saying, God is great. Look at all he's done. Let's share this with other people. No. The Israelites said, we are great. Look how awesome we are. We're chosen people. Not that we serve a big God, but we're chosen. Uh, Philistines, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Let's hold it to ourselves. Let's hang on to it. And it was control that they wanted to hang on to. And it was prominence. And, and it was their own king. And they missed the whole story. And they're still missing it waiting for the Messiah. So what's our response to the story? What, what should be our response as now learning, looking backwards, hindsight into act one and act two and act three, living in the story of the church, what should our response be? Oh, I'll tell you what, it's the same response it should have been to Israel. Like we aren't gonna keep this to ourselves. As a matter of fact, that's one of our core values at Timber Creek. That we don't wanna hide it, we wanna divide it. That we won't keep the good news to ourselves. This is part of why we're taking a big risk, taking on another campus 27 miles north of Nacogdoches there in Mount Enterprise, because we don't wanna keep this to ourselves. Because we do truly believe it is better to give than to receive. I also believe wholeheartedly in the promises of God that you, you will reap what you sow. God, God continues to fill our rooms. This is why we're adding a third service. As we continue to send people out, God fills our rooms. I'm announcing Mount Enterprise, and this is very easily one of the fullest services we've had in Lufkin in, in, in a second service. God is growing the church as we keep sowing into the church. It's a promise. It's a promise of God. And we don't wanna keep this to ourselves, so there's three ways that we don't keep this to ourselves. Now listen, this is a bit of a family talk. I am so glad every single one of you are here. If you're kicking the tires, if you're dipping the toe in the water, if you're, if you're, putting, a, if you're putting Christianity underneath a stethoscope today, I'm so glad you're here. Like, we want this church to be open for people just like you. You're, you're, you're investigating. But also know that we're the body of Christ. and We need to behave like the body of Christ. And we wanna invite you in. We wanna be the kind of people of God that don't push you away from church or push you away from Jesus, but that are attractive and, and, and attracting you to life in Jesus. Here's three ways that you Here's three ways that you cannot be like Israel in the story. All right, here they are. Number one, engage the right mindset in today's culture. 
This culture has lost its spiritual geometry. What's up, what's down? What's right, what's wrong? What's A, what's B? We are wanting to remove any kind of columns from, from truth to sexuality. We want it all to be this open-ended thing. Why? Because we love control. And a column means we don't get to control that. A column means, no, 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 there's, there's, there's a guardrail here. And guardrails are old school. You know, you know how many people get so ticked off in Colorado when they're driving up those mountains? <laughs> Department of Transportation, who do they think they are? Putting this guardrail up on this highway. Let me drive my car where I want to drive my car. Nobody says that going through Colorado. But we say that with every other guardrail that someone else put in our line. And we hate, we hate lines. Do you know what? This is not even, this is not like a, a, a non-salvation thing, a Christian, a non-Christian thing. This is a human thing, okay? This is a you thing, me thing, East Texas thing. This is a thing thing, okay? Is that nobody just loves being told what to do? Nobody just loves, be, do, don't do that. Only do this. Like even in lifeguard training back in the day, they said, hey, when you're trying to get people to like listen, don't say, don't run. Say, please walk. Like the way you even say it. But even then, people don't want to be told what to do. And it's crazy. It happens at the church too. It's just nuts. It's just nuts. I mean, we got VIP parking out in our parking lot. And some of you are shrinking down right now. Because you know, you ain't a guest. You've been here since 1930 freaking nine. And you parking in the VIP parking. That ain't for you. Oh my, bless God, oh my God, tell me where I'm gonna park. Do you know that there are times where we cover the back rows with seat covers? You would think that we have allowed snake and strychnine and devil worship in here, allowing those seats to be, that's my seat, bless God. I saved that seat. No, only Jesus saves. I don't know if I can come to this church, you're covering my seat, bless God. Dear Lord, and can I tell you, listen, we don't want to, we don't want to inconvenience you, but get off your, your entitled high horse, dude. Honestly, because that is not attractive to people that are dragging themselves in by the park. You know why we cover up the seats? It's because there's a whole lot of people, especially with the third service time now and new service times, are gonna be coming in. They don't know where they're going. They don't even know where the kids' center is. They don't know what's going on. Now, Nacogdoches, you don't got that problem. You're just full all, all automatically. You're just everywhere in Nacogdoches. But, but, but hear me on this. Like, we get so entitled to stuff. It's gotta look a certain way. It's gotta be a certain way. We don't like guardrails. And we're living in a culture that wants to push against any guardrail. And we got to engage the right mindset in today's culture. Instead of being all ticked off, that people don't see the things you see, live the way you live, believe the way you believe, there's a better way. There's a better way. Jesus didn't walk around just like a chip on his shoulder. I can't believe they're not following me. I told them, I mean, look, and I'm going to fill their nets with fish. And G Peter's like, I don't know him. Here I am sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. You knuckleheads can't even pray for 60 minutes. Here, here's the deal. We can attack culture so aggressively we marginalize our voice. We're all we're about is how terrible the culture is. And you know what you do? You put yourself in a corner and you, you marginalize your voice. And I don't, I don't wanna see us do that as Christians or as the church, but we've done it. You know what else we do? We can retreat from culture too quickly 
and then we lose our voice. So all we do is we don't, we don't know how to talk about all this gender stuff. So we're just like stammering around, oh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, I just can't believe it, it's terrible. And you got like no, we don't know how to have a conversation anymore. And so the church can just like retreat from it that we have no voice in it. We lose our voice. We can embrace culture so closely that we dilute our voice. So because we're just trying to be grace, under the banner of grace, we lose out on truth. And so we become more grace and not enough truth. And God is full of grace and truth. And we don't, we just kind of like embrace and just say, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lose. I want to, you know, I don't want to scare them off. They're off. But what you can do is you can dilute your own voice by just going along. So what do we do? Guess what? You're kind of off the hook. Let me show you why. Because you can actually engage culture in order with a prayer to transform culture, not even by elevating your voice, by simply elevating his voice. Because it's not your good news, it's his good news. It's not your truth, it's his truth. It's not your way of thinking, you're surrendering to his way of thinking. And if we can simply engage culture with kindness and love, meet them where they are, family talk, everybody. Somebody answer the phone over here. God's trying to get a hold of somebody. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I suggest this? Out of all those things we could do, let's do that one. Let's do it, how about it? Let's be the kind of church, let's be the kind of people, let's be the kind of mom and dad that just engage with the, with the cry that God, would, his voice would be elevated. You're not gonna talk somebody in, like nobody's gonna get beat up on Facebook by you yelling at the top of your thumbs and then all of a sudden, you know, I wasn't believing in all this Jesus stuff, but when that guy ridiculed me on that Facebook thread, glory to God. I don't think that's ever happened and it ain't gonna happen. So let me finish with this. People want to be saved. You gotta know that, that's the mindset. People wanna be saved. Here's the deal. They're being saved by their own efforts. Everybody wants to be saved. Who's gonna help me out? Who's gonna get me that step? How can I network? How can I get into the next thing? How can I make sure that I don't make a wrong decision? How can I start fresh? How can I, how can I have a do-over? Everybody wants to be saved, and so we use our career, the corner office, the finances, the good, the affirmations, the accolades, the words of others. We, do, we use those things to feel safe and saved. People wanna be saved, but those things won't save you. Those things won't die for you. Those things will not wrap, your job will not wrap arms around you when you have a baby in the hospital. Only Jesus can truly save you. People wanna be saved. And here's another thing. The Jesus that we know, he's worth knowing. He's not like a Jekyll and Hyde. He's not, a, he's not a jerk incognito. He's good all the way down. He's good. And it's like he's peace and he's hope and he's help and he's forgiveness and he's freedom. He embodies all of that. Like that's who he is. And he's, he's worth knowing and you gotta change your mind. Jesus is worth knowing. 
We're, we're treating like talking to, 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 about Jesus to our friends like we're trying to give them some kind of STD or something. Like it's like the, what they don't want. They're not going to want it. They're not going to want it. I would agree. You don't want that. I don't know from experience. I don't know. <laughs> but I can tell you, <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> Get back on track, Holy Spirit. Please come back and help me right now. <laughs> Jesus is so worth knowing, everybody. He's worth it. And sure, you can live a fun life, and you can live a productive life, and you can put money in the bank, and you can raise kids without Jesus if you want. You can do it. You can raise your kids to kind of seek out their own truth. I would also challenge you to, yeah, right, like you're gonna have them seek out their own education. Fourth grade, I just, you know, I just don't know about all this like, you know, professional education thing. You're in fourth grade, go to class. And yet the things that matter most, we're just kind of leaving as a, a reed in the wind? Friends, friends. That ought to put anguish in your heart. That ought to be something with your own kids that you would be willing, like Paul, to be cut off for the sake of your kids. Because this is real. You got your own theories. Okay, Jesus is real. And you're gonna have to choose who you bow a knee to. Paul says later, how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard about? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? The good news is you don't have to preach like me. You, you, you don't have to be a pastor. You just be the hands and feet wherever you are. From nurse practicing to teaching to owning a personal fitness gym and coaching. From having a bank experience to running your construction business. Show people how to be right and fair and full of integrity because that's what Jesus is. You, you share the message that's right for you. Like you select the right method that fits you. Select the right method that fits you. It may not be preaching. It's probably not yelling at people on Facebook. Look what Paul says. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. You know how we treat people outside the church sometimes, everybody? How a lot of Christians, a lot of church, that's what turns them off. They're not turned off by Jesus. They're turned off by Joe. They're turned off by Jeremy's. They're turned off by Julie in accounting. Oh, some of you are like, well, I know Julie. <laughs> Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. How did Jesus act toward outsiders? He invited them to dinner. Wow. He says, let your conversation always full of what? Grace. Seasoned with salt. Some of you, walk, some of you walking around like, Hear the message of Jesus. <laughs> you will go to church and get saved. <laughs> Jesus is saying, nobody wants to choke on the salt, but you can season with salt. Like, men, it's time to season the conversation. I'm so glad that you got so many points on that fantasy football league. That's awesome. Go for it. Love it. Live it up. I got my own hobbies too. But like season some conversations with some salt. All they know about is the brand of your gun 
and who your wide receiver is and they never see Jesus in you. And I'm not saying you gotta put a scripture on the deal. You don't have to title your fantasy football game, Jesus Saves Team. Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be dumb. But dads, teaching your kids different stuff, just show them how to love Jesus. Start there, I don't even know. I mean, I got a pat, who cares? So does everybody else in the history that's ever lived. Start somewhere and season with Salt, a little bit, goes a long way. You'll remember, friends, when I first came to you, Paul says, to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. Oh, let me explain to you the Ark of the Covenant and the temple worship and all of these holidays. No. Look at this. I deliberately kept it what? Come on, Nat. Come on, Lufkin. I deliberately kept it what? And... I deliberately, on purpose, kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus, who he is. Jesus, what he did. Jesus, who he is. Jesus, what he did. Next week, we start a four-week series called At the Movies. And every single time we do this, I have a handful of people saying, I don't know about all that. We should be getting deeper into the Bible. Look, we're deliberately keeping it plain and simple for four weeks. Four weeks. Four. Quattro. And it's such a simple and plain way to show the gospel to people. Do you know what it is? It's just a parable. It is a modern day parable, like Jesus would tell a story to communicate a biblical truth. We're gonna tell stories through movies and, and proclaim a biblical truth. A lot of people are gonna get saved. They are. But guess what? How can they get saved if they don't hear? How, how can they hear unless someone goes to them? Or how can they hear unless someone goes to them and brings them in? You can be a part of that. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. And you know what happens when we do that? God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power. It's okay for you to say Timber Creek Church changed my life, but I want you to know Timber Creek Church did not change your life. I, I, I hear that a lot and it blesses my heart. And I don't wanna just fix someone right off the bat because they're sharing a, a true tender moment. But church doesn't change you, Jesus changes you. Now church, the body will come alongside you and support you and help strengthen you. And, and this, is a, I, this is a good church. It's a church anyone can come to. Lots of incredible churches. If this ain't your taste, there's other churches there. Go, go, where, you can, where, go where you can go and be planted and be fruitful. Don't go and be a sponge and just soak something up. Go be fruitful somewhere. But if this ain't it, Go, go somewhere that you wanna go. Your family needs that and deserves that. For us, we're gonna try and like respond to God's power here. He says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all. Jesus isn't asking you to become a preacher to one and all. How about serve people? Start with serving your spouse. Start with serving your kids. Start with serving your boss who doesn't deserve for you to add a little extra something, but you're gonna do it because you're gonna show your boss how Jesus would be a great employee that loves them right where they are. In order to reach a wide range of people, the religious people, the non-religious people, the immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever, that's who we're after. I didn't take on their way of life. You don't have to go and just become like them. I kept my bearings in Christ. Guess what? If you're gonna reach people, 
You don't have to be like them, but you do have to like them. You do have to like them. And I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Some of you are so red politically or so blue politically that you have blinded yourself to lost people on both sides of the aisle. And you will sacrifice your influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ because of what you feel about the next president or what you feel about this particular issue, whether it be a biblical issue or just a state issue or a federal issue or a Supreme Court issue. Regardless, you're letting issues get in the way of good news. Stand for what you believe in. Let it be biblically driven, not politically driven. But do not let your party line be the line you draw in the sand to be okay with Jerry going to hell. Don't be okay with that. Get some points of view. Can we not have conversations with each other anymore? Can we just say, hey, I don't know if I see it that way, but let's keep talking. Like, like, Keep being salt, everybody. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message of Jesus and I didn't wanna be talking about it. I wanted to be in on it. And you and I get to be as the church, as the hands and feet, as act four of the whole story of God. You and I get to be a part of this beautiful love story. But it ends with this. You can keep living your lower story. If you don't want to embrace the, the upper story, you don't have to. You, you, you don't have to, but you're going to miss it because you're going to miss God's, God's redemptive plan for why you're at work, why you have those kids, why you've even gone through maybe some suffering, what you can learn, how you can get his grace to be sufficient for you in the middle of some turmoil. But in order to do that, you've got to embrace grander vision living. It's just not nine to five and here comes wine o'clock. Peter was almost bankrupt, empty nets, but Jesus met him where he was. Peter embraced grander vision living. Saul, who would later be Paul and write this book, he was on his way to persecute Christians. God met him where he was. He embraced grander vision living. And we're learning from him and the Holy Spirit today. Embrace grander vision for your kids, for your grandkids, for your spouse, for your marriage, for your influence at your job. Embrace grander vision living. And it starts right now. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? The truth is maybe you're here and all you've been living, all you've known to live is your lower story, but you wanna engage what God has for you. That starts with inviting Jesus to be the center of your life, the savior of your life. Maybe you've done that, but you've drifted. That's okay, he brings you back, he'll receive you. Maybe you've never invited him to be the center of your life. I can guide you in that today. It's gotta be you, it can't be me for you, but I can guide you there. In your own words, you'd say, Jesus, I want you in the middle of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and like giving me a solution of my separation from you. I wanna be part of your story. Would you give me grace for tomorrow? 
Would you help me in today? I wanna live for you. I don't even know how, it's hard. I've got habits, I've got stuff, but can I put it in your hands today, Jesus? Will you help me? And right now I want you to know that Jesus says, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Now for everybody in the room, you love Jesus, but maybe you've not embraced grander vision living. Can you just receive a new grace on your life? Holy Spirit, would you empower us to be bold witnesses today? To embrace a grander vision for what you have for me, for what you have for those around me. I ask it in Jesus' name.